Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, guys. Welcome to Just Make the Thing, a podcast for people like me who want to start a thing and keep on making it. I'm your host, Claire Tonti, and today I'm chatting to one of our podcasters from the Planet Broadcasting Network, Dave Warnicky who is, I think, the king of just making things. From a musician in high school in a band, to writing musical comedy, to being a children's party entertainer where we had a disturbing experience in a Santa costume, to diving headfirst into stand-up comedy by doing his first gig in his very own Melbourne International Comedy Festival show, to a trivia night host and now associate producer of Funnies on the Project. Dave Warnicky is a man who is fearless. He is also a man of many talents and he came over to our place on a Sunday Arvo and we had a grand old chat about how he got started and where he's going next. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Do Go On, I highly recommend it. It's three wonderful comedians, Jess Perkins, Matt Stewart and of course Dave Warnicky chatting about trivia, mainly history and it's just hilarious. Dave's advice for making the most of the opportunities you have and working hard is so worth listening to. So I highly recommend you jump on board, stick around and uh, get those earbuds in your ears. Okay, off we go. Why trivia and comedy? That seems to be the trajectory that your career has taken. Okay, so I guess when I was in high school, Mm. my dream was to be a rock star. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you would say, I love it. Uh, super lame. Um, Not lame. But that was sort of my thing and I played in bands all throughout high school mm. with varying degrees of success. Um, and I played bass guitar mainly, but also guitar and keyboard. Can you throw me some band names? Oh, okay. The <laughs> first it. ever one yeah, in year seven uh, was called Weed Hornet. <laughs> And everyone thought we were massive stoners, but really the uh, the reason was we practiced in a garage and in the garage there was a whippersnipper. The brand was called Weed Hornet <laughs> and that's why we called it that. Okay, that's so awesome. I love that for so many reasons. That's so good. Yeah, and uh, so I was in about probably 10 different acts over the time and towards the end of school when I was in my final year, I found myself without a band. They'd all just broken up and I'd wasn't sure what to do so and I'd written all these songs myself so I started performing them just with me and a guitar and I'm not the world's best singer so the songs weren't getting that great a reaction but in between the songs I would sort of I don't know if you'd say tell jokes but I just sort of talk to the crowd and say a few things Mm. and then that was getting a better reaction than the actual songs were so in towards the end of that I would end up doing sort of one song at the start, talk for a long time, and then one song at the end, and that, that became a thing. And I thought, oh, why don't I just make the songs funny too? Oh. So then I st- started out um, performing musical comedy, and then I decided 
to give up the music altogether and just do stand-up comedy. And that sort of, yeah, brought me, brought me to here. Brought you to where you are today. And, and uh, the trivia side of things. So I was at uni and I wanted a job where I, f- like, it was a fun job where I got to, so I was studying drama and media at uni and I wanted, I wrote down a, a list of careers that w- I thought would be fun that you get paid to do on the weekend. And they were murder mystery host, <laughs> yeah. uh, kids party entertainer. I love. I would love to be one of those. Ugh. And a trivia host. I applied for the murder mystery. Never heard back. I went for the trivia job, and they and they said they didn't have anything now, but they'd call me back later. And then I also went for the kids party entertainer, and I got that gig. <laughs> So that was sort of my first like uni job was I would dress up as a clown what? or a wizard, yeah. a cowboy, a pirate, a superhero, the Easter Bunny. And the most ridiculous <laughs> one, if you've seen me, especially back when I was 19, was I dressed as Santa Claus at Christmas time. <laughs> so people are paying big money for me to turn up and I am like a very thin man, especially was back then, and very young looking. And, and I'd have to wear a fat suit. <laughs> And I'd put on an unconvincing, uh, deep Santa Santa voice. And that was kind of okay, but it it was also... It was a bit like comedy. When it went well, it was the best, but when it went terribly, it was so bad. Like, I got practically beaten up by some kids one day. (laughs) It's a vicious. Oh, they are crazy. (laughs) They are crazy. They're like all the the inner things that adults would love to do but can't because they're grown-ups. They just don't have that. Oh, and... Sometimes the grown-ups don't give you any help at all. Like I remember once I was out in uh, Caroline Springs, mm, lovely oh, suburb lovely of, of Melbourne, and yeah. I was out there dressed as Santa and, and I, wa- I, I walked in there and the first thing someone said to me, this is a drunk adult yelled out, you're not fucking Santa. <laughs> I was like, there are kids around. And I was like, I'm like, oh, all right, this is hard. I started performing and I was singing because you had to sing songs, I had to sing like Jingle Bells and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All inside this fat suit that was so hot. And um, some kids come up and I've got a CD player and these, these two twins start karate chopping my CD player. And I'm looking at the dad like, give me some help, give me some help. And he's just, he's just going, ha ha, taking photos of it. It was so bizarre. And then on the way out, they followed me to the car park. And I was oh. like, this is terrifying. Because <laughs> some of the kids are now 14 or something. Oh, my God. I went back to the, my, my car uh, eventually and I sort of just chilled out and I took the Santa suit off and I was... <sighs> Probably needed 30 minutes to sort of relax. And then when I drove off, half an hour later, I could see the kids on the playground. They were waving at me like viciously, like, bye, Santa. I was like, they've been waiting. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's that was, it was so a tough kids. game. Yeah. But anyway, the, the trivia company eventually called mm. and I did a very hungover audition. And I remember going, there was about 35 people auditioning. And the, the gig was... you. Um, host pub trivia but to get the job you had to get up there say one thing about yourself can't even remember what I said and then read out three questions and this one guy got up and he's like hi yeah I'm a, an experienced comedian and I'm also like a warm-up guy for all this guy and he was the most charismatic person I'd ever <laughs> seen and we were told there was only one job going and I was like well I'm not even gonna bother this I'm, yeah. I'd give that guy the job over me anyway uh, I ended I got the job and so did that guy as well. So we ended up both getting it. And um, I just hosted lots and lots of uh, trivia nights at pubs. And then I started doing the sort of corporate stuff as well and fundraisers. So one weekend you'd be um, like at Crown Casino with like 400 accountants. Holy And it would be like a, you'd feel like and you'd be wearing a shirt and it'd all be really nice and everyone would be in suits. And then the next weekend I'd be like in the back room of a kindergarten with 30 people <laughs> begging people to like play the raffle. So it was a real spectrum of, of types of gigs. 
yeah. but it was good. It was good experience. Um, made me very relaxed in front of a microphone mm. because over five years or so, I did probably a thousand trivia nights. Wow! How old were you at this point? So I started that when I was about twenty, I think. And that re- and my boss Pete Curry from Quizmasters, the one of the co-founders there, who's uh, an amazing guy, he. He told me that he was he was rescuing me from the uh, kids' party jobs. <laughs> and he did. He totally did. <laughs> Rescued you from being beaten up as skinny oh, Santa. It was horrific. So that was a much more fun. And that was still my uni job. So I was just doing that throughout uni. And then um, towards the end of uni, I asked if I could write some of the questions. And Pete uh, eventually said yes. And then um, I started writing all the questions. And I, that was just sort of my job for a while was writing wow. trivia questions. What strikes me about all of that is that you are a hard worker. Would you agree with that? I would. Say, I think I would say I'm a hard worker, but I also would say that one thing often just leads to another. Yeah. So one thing I didn't say earlier was so I did the the music, and then it was a bit of stand up, and then I started making a web series. It was called the Dave Warnicky Experience, and I would set myself a challenge, <laughs> and my friends and I would just film it on camcorders, and this is like in the early days of YouTube, and we'd, we'd edit it on iMovie and sort of taught ourselves to edit and that kind of stuff. And so one of the challenges was to do a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which in Melbourne every year we have this big comedy festival and it's like Australia's largest ticketed, largest ticketed event. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's there's hundreds like, of shows so and great. they sell hundreds of thousands of tickets and there's like massive comedians that do stuff in theatres with like 1,200 seats and then there's also at the back of a pub. It's a bit like the kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, <again>. exactly. <laughs> with like a tw- 20 seats and... I'd only done comedy a few times and I set myself this challenge so I signed up to do the comedy festival, which is not something that I would Whoa. I would tell anyone to do, but I am glad that I did it because sort of that was one of those things that one thing led to another. But so what I did was I signed up to do seven shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival at uh, a pub in Fitzroy, a little bit out of the city, which I'm glad because that meant no reviewers came, <laughs> no industry came. It was basically just me performing for my, my friends because I was only 19 or something this time. So a bunch of people from high school came and it was really good because it was a roller coaster. because I remember the first night it was sold out and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I am a comedy god. And the next night, two people came. And it was like a, a real, yeah, roller, roller coaster. They say that, don't they? That there's sort of, you can have that initial like luck and then when you're on to a good thing and then the second thing you do is just the yep, worst. Totally. Yeah. And I experienced it that week. And yeah, it went well enough for me to want to keep doing comedy. Doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm preparing for my currently ninth Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah. So that was eight years ago now. Man. Which is crazy that I'm still doing it. It's yeah. so crazy. That's I, so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible because I think what strikes me about that is that all of that stuff takes balls, like a lot of balls to get up there and just not be afraid. Yeah. Part of me now looks back at that and, and is like, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> doing a show, like a show at the comedy festival with like zero comedy experience. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's dumb. No, but it's kind of not though. But you know when you're 19 and you're fearless and you just yeah. want to try stuff, so yeah. yeah. But not everybody is fearless though and I think that's one of the things I've noticed doing this show that in order for you to do something you really want to do or start something or do that career that or find that career that really, you know, you love, you have to step outside your comfort zone. You have to be on that edge of like – Totally. Fearful. Yeah, and you have to be ready to accept failure. 
Yeah, completely, completely. What have you learned from those failed gigs or the failures? You can keep going. Like I've never, it's never been bad enough that you're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to quit this. And I have had moments where I've thought, man, I did not want to do this anymore. Yeah. Like um, <laughs> I remember a few, three years ago, was it? Yeah, anyway, three years ago, I was doing the Adelaide Fringe Festival and I was doing a show called Dave Warnicky Dates the Entire Audience, which oh was a stand-up show. Um, and I did it with my friend, Sam Peterson, who was a very, very funny guy. He was sort of like my sidekick and the, the premise of the show was I was taking the entire audience on a date, trying to, trying to woo them and that on their phones there would be a bunch of questions and options for things we should do on dates and Sam would be operating a computer connected to a projector and people would text in suggestions and stuff. And most of the time it was really fun but I remember – so we did it in Perth and it was, it was a sellout. Mm. Like it went very, very well, like way better than expected and it sort of shifts your – your expectation because yeah. you think, all oh, right, well, that's how good it can be. It has to be that good every night. And then we went to Adelaide for their Fringe Festival, which is massive but also notoriously hard yes. for a lot of independent performers. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people go there expecting to lose money or really? – Yeah, totally. It's often a place where people will develop a show. For, not that Adelaide Fringe would want people to, no. comedians to say <laughs> no, that. No. But, you know, it's, it's great. People go over there and take risks but they're the, – um, it's not just artistic risks. There is financial and that kind of thing. So we did a, a show and we found out our venue was further out than we thought it was going to be. So it was already harder to get people there. And it was only maybe 35 seat room. So very small. And all week we sort of struggled. And then we got to Saturday night, the big night. And it, it, it sold out. Like we sold all 35 tickets, which is you know, not that many tickets. But it, in comparison to the rest of the week when we were performing to 15, 20 people, it was, it was like, oh, this is fantastic. We don't yeah. even have to go out and, and fly and hand out flyers and like sell our soul to beg people yeah. to come. Like it's already <laughs> happening. And then we did it. And it was probably the hardest show I've ever done. Wow. So I had that expectation of this is going to be great. Saturday night, sell out. And then... Uh, we just had a lot of drunk people in. That, that were heck- we basically got bullied whilst performing our own show. <laughs> oh, my God. So my friend Sam, he was playing my – in the show, he was my manager. That, yeah. that was the reason that he was there, uh, which he's not my manager. He's just another performer. So that was a character who was playing and he was playing a drunk manager. So yeah. he'd pretend to be drinking the whole show. And we had these really rough people in the front row and they were like grabbing Sam's – Alcohol, which wasn't alcohol, it was actually apple juice because in the show he drank a whole bottle of scotch yeah. in an hour. That just kind of, and they were like heckling and saying, this isn't apple juice, what, this is apple juice, you know. And um, I was okay because I'm doing sort of stand-up and in between Sam's operating this, this computer that people can text things into. He's getting like texts like, kill yourself, this is the worst show ever. And I can't see any of that. Yeah. Uh, angry yeah. people on YouTube level shit. Yeah, well, that is an intense. Yeah, that is so intense level horrible. Of shit. And he's just sort of sitting there, but I'm also hearing the heckling, and it's just not going well. And there was a time, a time where we were sort of looking at each other, and we bo- both said that in our minds we were considering just leaving, just like cancelling the show, just and like just, walking, just out. walking out. Because wow. there were, like, there's no security at this venue or anything. There's no way we could get these people out. Like, if we challenged them and told them to leave, it just wasn't going to happen. And I was doing my best to try to include them in the show, but also quietly put them down but nothing was working and it was horrible and we sort of just went as the audience left the the behind our red curtain which is the rear of stage actually was behind the curtain was just a big window and then the street were on three levels up so we were hiding behind the curtain and we're both, both like this is this is like just having to hear them and they were still bagging out the show on the way out and we're just and we're like we can hear you it was just it was horrific 
That is so horrific. Did you at any point consider just jumping out the window? It was a bit like that. It was like, <laughs> should we jump out of this window? <laughs> That's it. We can't come back from here. It was so bad. So we had the, the week in Perth where it sold out and then this Adelaide where, where we thought we were going to, we were finally on track. And it was really, really hard. Yeah. But, you know, we'd already said yes to doing two weeks of the show in Melbourne and luckily we kept going because in Melbourne it was much better. Yeah, yeah. Much and more comedy savvy audience and, you know, we had more friends and stuff come along. But, um, yeah, that was probably the moment where I thought, why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, we're not, here, we're not making money. Yeah. Like, it's not really helping the show. Like, it was, yeah. But you, so, just, but you just have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, what is it in your personality that, because it, it seems to me from the very beginning, so you're in high school and you're playing in bands and, and up there in front of an audience. So, obviously, you love having people kind of interact with you and being on stage. Yeah, I love that. And that yep. vibe. Yeah. Is that what keeps you going or what does keep you going? Like through all of it, through that, these like eight years or nine years. Yeah, I just like making stuff and doing stuff. I do like performing a lot, especially when it goes well. Yeah. Yeah. It's that the buzz. Yeah, it's that horrible thing where, where yeah, when it's so good, it's, it is like a drug and then it's not. And <laughs> you keep coming back for more and more and yeah, more. Yeah, I'm the king of the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and then the, yeah. the, 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 uh, the other side of the coin where you're looking out a window in Adelaide over the Rundle Mall thinking about jumping yeah. out of it because <laughs> it's the only way to get away from these horrible people. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, it's just a, I just like making things and I, and I always have ideas all the time, just constantly coming. I get very excited about a lot of ideas that just never happen. <laughs> yeah, like I, I lose, en- lose enthusiasm like, and it, it always happens at the worst time. Like I'll be like, all right, I've got to get up early tomorrow. I'm going to go to bed and I'll be lying in bed and like an idea will hit me and I'll get so excited about it that I can't sleep for like four hours. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And then I'll wake up in the morning and <laughs> I'll think about the idea and it just isn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> or over time, I'm just like, oh, that's too hard. I'll, sh- you know, put- I'll write that idea down. I'll come back to it later. And I think my, my kind of rule is I've got to write down the idea and I've got to be able to come back to it in months' time and still think it's a good idea. Like okay. to, sometimes I have gotten like I've written down an idea, come back to it, forgotten that I'd even written the idea and been like made myself laugh with the concept. <gasps> wow. I think that happened with, with the idea of dating the audience. <laughs> I thought, that was really, like, I thought that was funny, wrote that down as like an off note and then I came back to it not remembering it and I thought, Oh, that is, that's genuinely funny. That's a funny idea. Well yeah. done, Dave. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I always go past, thank you, past Claire. That was good. Yes, you, you did You know what good. I mean? You did good or like that was real bad because now I'm like have booked my my day out or something or I'm really stressed. Past Claire's really let me down. Yeah, you really should have done more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But do you have a notebook? How do you keep your ideas? Uh, I just write them down on my phone. Oh, in the note section? Yeah, just a yeah. note type thing. I've, I've got, oh. H- hundreds. This is like probably, a rabbit hole. Probably over a thousand notes. It's just wow. And some of them mean nothing. <laughs> I don't even know what they mean. You're just like slap bald man. <laughs> what does that mean? Why is that funny? Why is that funny? But I actually no, I do remember what that was. I once had a um. Do you know the concept of lucid dreaming? Ah, uh, which is where sort of. where you're dreaming, but you you train yourself to realize you're dreaming. Oh. So the idea well, you don't have to. I didn't train myself, but I've experienced lucid dreaming, I think, twice in my life. Yeah. And um, it's basically people want to be able to train themselves so they can be in any situation and then be like, all right, great. Now I'm going to go party with Lenny Kravitz or whatever. <laughs> like you do anything you want to do. You can do yeah. anything you like. Yeah. Or That's like amazing. it's a nightmare and you can be like, this is just a nightmare. I'm going to go to a theme park yeah, now. Yeah, you can do yeah, anything you like. Yeah, but I remember exactly. the, the two times 
that I've realized it was a dream. Have you ever realized you were in a dream? No. And now I'm really jealous. Yeah, you should be. That sounds awesome. I thought about looking into uh, training yourself to do it. One, apparently one of the, the big things is when you wake up, you have to write down your dreams. Yes. I was listening to a podcast recently. Who was talking about this? Ah, uh, it was a Oprah podcast. He was very like a monk. He wasn't, it wasn't a comedy dream, but he right. was talking about that, that you, if you have to capture them because dreams are really, really important and you can learn a lot about yourself and your deep subconscious. But I, when I wake yeah. up, I, I just want to go back to sleep. I can't be bothered writing down no, my dreams. That's, no, no, that's true. That's but you lose them so fast. Too. Totally, totally. But I remember this one. I was um, in a cafe and I realized, oh my God, I'm, I'm dreaming. I can do anything I like. And there was a bald man sitting down and I slapped him on the head <laughs> and the whole cafe cheered. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and then I woke up. And the, the other time was probably about the time I was starting out in comedy. I had this laptop and it was so annoying. Like it was just a really shitty old laptop and yeah. it would always play up. It always like lose work that was that had saved. And I realized I was dreaming. I could do anything I like. So I grabbed that laptop and threw it out a window <laughs> and it was so satisfying. Yeah, they're my two lucid oh, dreams. Oh, man, that is incredible. I want a lucid dream now. Actually, I had a friend at uni who was a wizard, like legitimately we found out, and and was really into dreaming and dreams. This must be what he was talking about. Right. Like he called himself a wizard and, and particularly around dreams and dreaming and like was really into like the dreamscape. And at the time, I just thought he smoked a lot of pot. Right. I mean, he but may, may <laughs> definitely have done may that. may have as well. But that, because that would be like being in your very own video game. Yeah. Imagine you could do anything you want. Whoa. Oh, God. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to look into yeah, that. Yeah, we should all look into that. We I think it takes a, lot of, it takes a lot of work. Uh, to be able to do like it. anything in life right that's one of the things uh, I, I think yeah another one of the tips is you always have to constantly ask yourself am i dreaming am i dreaming am i dreaming you think that all the time Whoa. so even in your sleep you think that so it's just a th- uh, like a habit yes so in your sleep you, and then you go yes so now oh. i'd say am i dreaming and i'd really look around and think no i'm not no. oh actually i do that sometimes i get disappointed i'm like but am i dreaming dream. no i'm no. not dreaming or sometimes I am in a dream. I can, I have woken up in a dream and sort of realized I'm in a dream, but done nothing with it. That's just stupid. Now, what was I thinking? I could have flown. I could have just started flying. I could have done anything. Could have done anything. And I just was kind of like, I'm dreaming. Oh, that's all right. That's terrible. And terrifying dreams as well. It's like, there's no need to be terrified because it's not real. If you realized it wasn't real. It would be less scary. Oh, it totally would be. Well, we fell down a rabbit hole of dreaming, but you were talking about ideas and how often they come to you. And I love that idea of just writing them down and then coming back to them or not. I know Roald Dahl did that. That's how he came up with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. This is one of his ideas. Just had a notebook. He walked with him. He he was driving, pulled on the side of the road, had this idea, wrote it in his notebook and then kept driving. And then like a year later, like went and decided to write a book about it. Yeah, that's great because I think it's a great thing to get into the habit of just writing down ideas because nothing bad can come from from it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's a bad idea because who cares? You're right. the only one who sees that idea. Idea. But if yeah. you write down a hundred, you, you might come up with one or two that you come back and go, ah, oh, that actually... could be something. So yeah, there's no, there's no, nothing bad can come from writing down a bad idea. Who cares? Yeah. I love that because I often find I get so plagued by all my ideas that come into my head. I just never, I, well, I actually, I've got better at it, but choosing the one that you're actually going to make into a reality can sometimes be where people struggle. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I think sometimes I struggle with that because I think, oh, I just don't have enough time to do all this stuff. So what I would do is I'd write down sort of the top 10 ideas and then one, work out maybe the reasons why you would do these things. Okay, that's good. So you'd have 10 ideas and you'd be like, oh, one of them might be like, write a movie, which is great. It would take a long time and I then at the end I wouldn't know what to do with it. I've never written a movie. I don't know where no. to take the movie. Yeah. But another one might be like make a short podcast series about this. It's like, oh, I know how to do that. Maybe that's more achievable. Yeah, absolutely. So then going big. Could, then going big, yeah, being like write, write that novel. You know, that's very difficult. But if you, if you had maybe you write some short stories, that's easier to achieve. Completely. Yeah. It's sort of breaking things down, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and also yeah. – telling yourself why would you do that so when you're halfway through something that's really really hard you remembered why you're doing it (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah Yeah, and doing it with the resources that you have now not the resources that you wish that you had but then maybe the something could come from the podcast series if that was really successful that you could turn into a movie and then you could write the movie or the book about that whatever yeah yeah you can't go large straight away exactly yeah yeah because i think that's the problem sometimes and it seems to me like you're quite goal orientated would that be right yeah uh yes and i think one of the secrets is um making a deadline oh good one so like with the comedy show if back when I was doing that Dave Warnock experience, that YouTube series or whatever, I signed up to do the Melbourne Comedy Festival. If I just said I'm going to do a comedy gig in six months' time, I could have. I had the opportunity to cancel that, and I probably would, to be honest. But once you've signed up for the comedy festival, you've paid five or six hundred dollars or whatever it is. It's in the. There's a big guide that goes out. It's on the website. You've told people it's going to happen. You have to make the show because it's happening. And I feel like every year the comedy festival comes around. And if I had the opportunity, <laughs> if someone said if you, you could flick this switch and it would just go away and you wouldn't have to do it, I probably yeah. would. But that doesn't happen. You have to do it. Yeah, you set it around those parameters. Yeah, so, so you, you set yourself. Yeah. I have to do that. Yeah, I love that. That that was Planet Broadcasting for me in a way. I was sort of like, well, I've done this now. I've got all these people on board. I have to do exactly. it. You I've have got to no make, choice. Exactly. Yeah. We're all relying on you now to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got to keep on with that idea. So I think not everyone um, can do that though or has the guts or the determination maybe the and the resilience, I guess, or persistence to stick at something. Yeah, but, I, but once again, if you've got the deadline that you have to stick to, it, it really is very inspiring. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess like that uni essay, you've got to get yeah, it done. Yeah, you've got to get it in. you got to I mean, you don't want to get – I mean, if you could choose to not do it, you would, but you have to do it now. Yeah, and, and then when it, And unlike a uni essay, when this uh, creative project is finished, you'll probably be very satisfied. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you scared yourself. I, I don't know if you've found that, that – Whenever I've stepped right out of my comfort zone and done something scary, even if it's bombed, I still feel that kind of satisfaction. You sort yep. of think, yeah, good on me. I bloody did it. Yeah, you it's know? done. Yeah. And you, and you also learn a lot from failure as well. Oh, completely. You learn so much about yourself, I think, yep. and what you can accomplish. Um, how did Dugon sort of come about then? So I, I've done a couple – so Dugon's the podcast that I do with uh, Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins, two of my favourite people in the world. It's hilarious. If you haven't listened, go and listen. It's so great. It's very, very fun to do. But uh, So I've done two podcasts before, one many years ago, about six years ago. To, just I did it to promote a comedy show I was doing 
and it was like a little quiz podcast. I just did six episodes of it and it was called Facty Fact and then I ended up doing like a live show based on that and that was sort of my thing for a while that I did for a few years at festivals and that was really fun. And the other one was a couple of years later I did one called Persuasion, which I still think is a cool show idea. (laughs) But it's logistically very hard because it's um, it's a live show. So what it is was I, I hosted it with my friend Neil Sinclair who's an English comedian and uh, I'd be the host of the show and he would play like the bastard, the sidekick. <laughs> and what would happen is we'd get um, comedians, three, uh, three on an episode to come up and we'd give them a ridiculous thing to argue. Like, for example, um, I'm trying to think of something now. Oh, one, like um, everyone should be made to post one piece of mail per week to keep post men in jobs. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Stupid stuff like that. And then that, or Beatles, uh, Wings was a better band than the Beatles. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Oh, no. So they just argue things like that. And then what would happen? They'd have five minutes to argue the thing, and then Neil would uh, rebut them. Yeah. And be, just pick apart their argument. And, and the audience would just boo him. <laughs> and they would yell, finger, because that was them giving him the finger. <laughs> but he, on a podcast, you can't hear that. And then at the end, the audience would cheer for who they think. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today thought was the most persuasive was it Neil or one of the three guests and it was really fun and I did about 10 episodes of it and it was fun but I realized that it was very difficult to do because you had to get the guests you had to get them to write five or six minutes of unique comedy yeah. you had to get an audience to come along yeah. and, and record it so th- yeah. yeah so I thought next time the podcast I'll, I'll do I'll make it just a studio based one mm. and I was writing these trivia questions at the trivia company and I was learning a lot of um, useless knowledge and I thought I'd love to be able to talk about that you know it's, it's just sort of fun things I've learned researching that and I asked a friend to do it and then she'd already started a different podcast so I was like oh who am I going to do it and someone suggested oh how about you ask Matt Stewart because I knew him as a, a comedian but I didn't know him super well but someone said that he worked on a quiz show like a tv show he was a fact checker Basically, he'd get sent the, the questions that were going to go on the show and he'd have to find some sources for the questions. I thought, oh, that's cool. He would learn some weird stuff as well doing that job. Yeah. So I asked Matt and he said, yeah, sure, let's give it a go. And um, I just learned that the Mona Lisa was famous because it had been stolen. Yeah. Well, that's our first ever episode. That like blew my mind when Isn't I listened to like, that the, the reason that the Mona Lisa is the most famous painting in the world, it started because um, in the early 20th century it was stolen and a lot of articles were written about it and then when it came back it was totally celebrated. Yeah. And before that it was famous for being Leonardo da Vinci because he's a very famous artist but yeah. it was not even the most famous painting in the entire Louvre. Well, because it's not that exciting, really. No, it really isn't that yeah. exciting. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'd learnt that, you know, doing these trivia questions. I was like, oh, that's... Really interesting. Maybe I could talk about that. And I think the original idea was to talk about that and maybe a few other things I'd learned. But that when I was researching that, it was so interesting that I ended up being able to talk about that for a whole hour. Oh, wow. And that sort of yeah. became the show. And, and then it, it was Matt's turn. So he did an entire report on Burke and Wills, who are two Australian explorers. Those and, idiots. Oh, oh total, total idiots. <laughs> 
and we we did the shows and it was it was fun but it kind of felt like it was missing something and also it was a lot of work we realized that if we were to do this every two weeks a whole hour hour and a half report each it's going to be very difficult yeah yeah so we thought we needed a third person to get in and the only person that either of us we both thought of was jess perkins who at the time had just started doing comedy, but she'd done a bit of radio before that. But we'd both met her and been on her web series called First Date with Jess. I love that show. Yes, it's very nice. You should check it out. Matt and I are on there and a lot of other great um, up-and-coming Melbourne comedians. And, yeah, we asked – so we're like, let's ask ask Jess. And we asked her and we re-recorded those two episodes. We we redid the Mona Lisa. We redid Birkin Wells. And then Jess – we got her to do an episode too. And it was just way – funnier to listen back to Jess brought this energy that wasn't there already and it was you know it was easier for two people to joke along while someone um does a report on something and yeah we just sort of put those three episodes we I think we recorded about six or seven episodes yeah and we put out those first three at once and we got some pretty good feedback and we just have kept going ever since. Yeah, because how many episodes have you done now? I think this week was 125. That is bloody impressive. And we haven't missed a week since. Every Wednesday. That is incredible. Cause, and with your schedules, like you guys travel a lot. Well, Matt does oh, particularly. At the moment, Matt has been he's, – he's went to the Perth uh, – Fringe World Festival, came back for three days. We recorded three episodes. He went to Adelaide, came <laughs> back, three more episodes. He's in Brisbane now. He's coming back. And before we start our own shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, we've got to record three more to keep us going. Oh, my gosh. And then Matt's also doing his stand-up show for 22 nights in three and a half weeks in, in Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So we've got to try and record and write and edit. and Yeah, it's, it's difficult, but we sort of have never let it slip. And I think Matt once said it that he feels like if we stop once, then we'll set a precedent for it's okay to miss weeks yeah. and we'll get lazy, complacent, and then we'll be like, oh, it's too hard, we'll take a month off and then we'll come back to it. And I think one of the things that makes a, a podcast successful can be if it's consistent because mm. people – there's so many great podcasts out there. So if you, if you start releasing it for three months, people might forget about you, move on to other things, and when you come back, maybe they're – you know, yeah. you're down the bottom of their list. Yes. So we sort of fear that we, we might lose <laughs> lose Audience. traction. So we just got to keep going. We've got to yeah, do it. Never let ourselves not yeah. do it. Well, I guess that's that deadline thing you were saying. You've set that yes, deadline. Yes, it is the deadline. Every Wednesday yeah. at 1 o'clock Melbourne time, we've got to have it out. Yeah. And um, James, my husband, who does the Weekly Planet, did exactly the same thing every Sunday. And he did it with his videos too. Every Sunday, something comes out. Rain, hail, or shine. I think the, he takes a couple of weeks off a year now, but he always has content that comes out that is pre-prepared and put out. Totally great. Yeah, and they just don't. Yeah, it. I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll do that too. So you know, we have a, have a break over Christmas. So we try and record four episodes yeah. leading up to Christmas, so we don't have to meet up and write reports and edit yeah. over the Christmas break. But every week, something's an episode is coming out. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, so that's sort of how, how it came along and it's just sort of become like uh, my favourite thing. Oh, really? My favourite project I do. Yeah, and I think Jess and Matt feel the same way. Jess has definitely said that. It's her favourite comedy outlet and she does like radio and stand-up and all, all sorts of other stuff, but yeah. Yeah, what is it about it that you love so much? It's, I love – I can't speak for the others on this part, but I love the researching part. I love learning – I'm a real, I'm a real trivia nerd. I love. <laughs> I think I'm picking that up. Yeah, yeah. totally. I love, um, you know, finding a cool story that I haven't heard of, and it's cool because most of the topics we do are suggested by listeners. 
For example, there's this one episode called that I did, uh, The Collar Bomb Heist, yes. which was a crazy, crazy crime in America. And I'd never heard of it. Basically, a guy had, uh, walked into a bank with a bomb strapped around his neck and then he had to, he had to rob the bank and then he had to go on a scavenger hunt, essentially, <laughs> going to all these checkpoints. And then when the police arrested him, he said, the bomb's put on my neck. I, I have to do this or they'll kill me. And then it explodes. It's cr- anyway, so that's so crazy. So a listener it's had so just crazy. listener just sent in an article about that, and I read it, and I was hooked, and I was like, I've I've got to do this as a topic. So I love that that part of it. Uh, the other thing is, it's just super fun to joke around with Matt and Jess. Yeah, it's just super fun. And the other thing is, it it feels good when people uh, listen to it, and ninety nine point nine percent of the feedback, which I'm actually surprised at, is positive. It's because it's a great show. But one thing, yeah. when you put something out there as, because we describe it as a fact-based comedy podcast, when I wrote that description initially, I was a bit worried because I was thinking, oh, I reckon we're going to get lots of feedback, people being like, oh, you got that date wrong, you mispronounce, well, mispronunciations, we do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> especially that's America's my favourite But that's fun. It doesn't really so matter. Funny. But man, like fact, factual stuff. We, I don't know. I honestly think we make the mistakes. People are just too kind to point it out. <laughs> I thought that people would be way more petty about it, but then they're, they're not. So it's really refreshing to that. Well, I, I think it's also that you are laughing along with you guys. Like it's not that you're listening to it to kind of um, necessarily, it's all like history nerds who are just wanting to know exactly everything perfectly and hear, you know, like something perfect. It's more about feeling like you're mates with you and laughing yeah, totally. and I, having I fun. I do feel like we try and make it so it's three amateur, like we're amateur historians, we're, we're just comedians yeah, doing it rather than like professors of history. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of other shows out there. I'm sure they're probably actually the Collar Bomb Heist when I looked it up, there weren't any podcasts on it. But for example, um, I my most recent report was on Guy Fawkes and um, the gunpowder plot. And there are very nerdy history podcasts yeah. out there that get every detail right and have researched it meticulously. But if you want a more fun take, yeah. how about you? Yeah, listen to Dugan. I like it because I feel like I'm getting smarter, but it's fun. So I'm learning. Like that's how I used to teach. You sort of trick people into learning a bit. Well, that's what kind of yeah. why I like doing it because I am feel like I'm learning, but I also am having fun making it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that really comes across when you really enjoy something. I, everyone can kind of feel that and the energy of that kind of draws everybody into it. And I, I think that's why when you see really successful shows or TV shows, you know, like even a Seinfeld or Friends or any of that kind of stuff, you get the sense that there's some kind of chemistry and magic happening on that show that they're really enjoying themselves. That they're loving you know? doing. One yeah. of our favourite reviews ever was, they sound like genuine friends. <laughs> We joke about being genuine friends a lot off air. I know, but that's a bit like James and Meso from the Weekly Planet. People often sort of say stuff like that, like they're pretending to be friends or they're pretending to like each other. And I don't think you can fake that to a certain No, I would hate to, to do point. that. But I imagine that there are projects out there where, you know, people are acting in, in films, you know, where they're getting paid millions of dollars and they're not getting along or 
they just they just have to have to do it. So I really hope that we can keep yeah. keep the genuine friendship going. <laughs> like in ten years, you all hate each other, oh. but you're still like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like so fun. Totally like when the Beatles are making their last couple of albums together, and they're actually b- barely talking when they're not recording music together. I would hate to do that. So I really hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I know. Oh God, absolutely. Um, I have a sort of another question to ask you. Um, how do you go kind of earning a living while you're doing all this creative stuff? Like how did, how have you factored that in? Cause I know you've got your job now on the project, but before that, did you find that a struggle trying to find balancing amount, the amount of time you're spending doing comedy and trying to build a career and that um, whole struggle? Well, the project has definitely make it easier for me because now I, I work full time. So it's a Monday yeah. to Friday job, mm. which is, you know, it's a, a wage that comes in every week so you can rely on that. But when I before that when I was just doing the trivia stuff, I was very lucky that I had much many uh, fewer expenses and I'd never known anything else, which yeah. I also I look back and think, how the hell did you survive on such little money? Like, you know, I was hosting yeah. doing uh, writing some trivia questions and that might be one one day's week one two days a week of work worth of things and then hosting two pub trivia things. And you know, you're making a few hundred dollars a week. Yeah. I think, how did I, I survive? But I think I just didn't know anything else. Yeah. So I yeah. just sort of, um, I just made enough money when I first moved out of home to pay the rent and yeah. go out a couple of times, but I just didn't have any money for, for anything else. So I've always, and also the first couple of years when I was trying comedy, when I was studying, I lived at home with my parents and that really did help Makes me out. I know a lot of people yeah. aren't lucky enough to have have such supportive family or just a situation where they can continue to live somewhere for for essentially for free. So that definitely helped the first couple of years of comedy. But then when I moved out, yeah, I was just just making enough to survive. But I feel like that that was one of the happier times of my life. It was just fun and... Less responsibilities. Less responsibilities, yes. And you don't, you know, like I didn't have to worry about like uh, saving money for a house or whatever because that just wasn't even possible. So (laughs) who cares? Just don't have to even think about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, the pressure's up. Yeah. But but I can see that if I was to go freelance or something, if I was uh, to leave the the full-time safety net of the project and just do a bit of writing here or, you know, just do the podcasting and just do the festivals. Like a, it, since working full-time the last two years, I've definitely had less freedom to do those comedy festivals in Adelaide and Perth and Brisbane and Sydney, that kind of thing, just because it's harder to, to get away when get away for weeks, weeks at a time. So that was another part of the freedom of not working full-time. Yeah. How did you get the job on the project? Um, so basically I studied media at, at uni and I – did a master's in like communications media type of thing. And I thought, I'm going to be a media guy. This is it. <laughs> this is me. This is me. Dave Wanneke, media guy. Right, yeah. Get into the job search engine and I'm just like, a media job, please. <laughs> and I applied for so many. Yeah. <laughs> so many jobs. And I was like, you know, oh, I could do social media. I've got experience with that. Oh, I could, you know, uh, be a junior role here, blah, blah, blah. And I'd got a bunch of interviews and it, like I'd get close, but they'd say, look, you don't have enough experience. Sorry. And I'd say, look, but I'm trying to get the job to get experience. Yeah, and that's, that's the conundrum, right? Common complaint. It's like, just give us a give us a go. And I sort of resigned myself. So I did that for about a year, just applying for job after job after job. And I even tried to buy um, Karma to get a job once. I remember I was at a, <laughs> at a train station. I was early for this job working at the art centre in Melbourne. And I was working with a gallery promoting stuff. 
And I was like, I, and I quite like art. And I was like, this is this is great. This is really good. And it was extremely well paid compared to what I was working. And I was like, if I get this, I'll be one of those rich people. You know, it was just a fine wage. But at the time, because I was but, making so little money, oh, it seemed yeah. like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I remember the first time I worked full time. I was like, what the, what the hell? hell am I going to do with this? I'm like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can swim my way to work through money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so and um, I was early for the job and I was at, uh, at Flinders Street Station in Melbourne. And one of those people with a clipboard that are signing people up for charities approached me. And usually I'd be like, look, sorry, I've got to, I've got to keep going. But um, I was like, oh, I'm early. I've got time. And it was uh, a charity, uh, MSF, Medicines and Frontiers. Doctors Without Borders is another yeah. name for them. And they do amazing work. And she was telling me about it. And I was like, I said to her, look, if I get this job, I'm about to go for a job. If I get this job, I'll be a rich man. I will sign up. So she said, okay, you can cancel at any time. And I thought, look, this is great karma. Now <laughs> the world knows that if I get this job, I'll be able to help out this charity. Like, of course. And I went to the job interview. It went really well and I got a second a second interview. And I, I nearly got it. They told me that I was second to someone who already worked in the organization that got a promotion to do it. And, and uh, I was like, well, I guess that charity just missed out. So I, but in the end, I felt so guilty. I decided to support MSF anyway, and I still do. Yeah. And they're a great, great charity. But yeah, that's how desperate I was for a job. I was trying to play the, the world into making me get, get the career. Anyway, so I wasn't getting any jobs, and I decided to do more trivia stuff. Mm. I felt like, all right, I guess I'm not going to be a media guy. I'm going to have to do something else. So I tried to do more work for the trivia company. I started hosting three pub trivia nights a week and then I was doing corporate the corporate ones on Friday and Saturday. So basically I was hosting five trivias a week sometimes oh plus God. writing the questions. And I was like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm doing this now. And then I got a an email from my friend Beck, Beck Petratus, who works at the, the project. She is the best social media manager I've ever seen in my life. She runs the social media accounts and is absolutely phenomenal at it. And I hope the project know how lucky they are to have her. <laughs> and I also know her from um, doing comedy and making stuff. She's also part of the Stupid Old Studios. Yeah, that, we love those guys. They're so great. So she's yeah. one of the co-founders with Matt Stewart from our podcast and Alan Andy from Two in the T- Think Tank. And the other person is Evan, who um, is like a genius. With the most, tech. the oh most technically gosh. capable person I've ever oh met gosh. in my life. I know it's like Mozart with cameras oh. and just editing software <laughs> absolutely incredible and i love all five of those guys and they all come together and make something very very special um but yeah so she said oh they need someone to work in in, in the funnies team which is trying to find topical news content that's funny, funny. uh you've got a bit of it, uh, experience editing and i've done a bit of uh, stuff with my own videos and stuff at uni and then I, I came in for an interview and they told me that I'd be working with this program, Avid, that I'd never heard of. <laughs> oh, no. Have you ever heard of Avid? I vaguely, but I wouldn't know what the hell it's to do with it. Probably it's one of the professional ones. I've never heard of it. <laughs> no, me neither. And I, 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 could, I could just see the logo, but that's it. No yeah. idea what I was And they basically said, like, well, you can have a trial and if you can learn um, to edit as fast as you are in Final Cut, on, which is another editing program that I was more familiar with, in that time then will keep you on sort of part-time. And I thought, okay, great. So I, I did it and luckily it was very stressful the first couple oh of weeks God, that is learning this new editing program and trying to get it in, everything uh, edited in time for a, a daily news. It's a, the project I probably should have said for our overseas listeners. It's like a, it's a news um, show, a daily hour long news show, but there's also elements of comedy and mm. extra stuff in there. It's a hugely popular show. It's on like what, 7pm 
Yeah, so on it's nights? it's six thirty till seven thirty. Oh, that's right. Five nights a week, and now it's also on Sunday nights. But at the time it was five nights a week, and yeah, um, luckily I was good enough at it that I was working part time, and then I I'd already booked in a, a holiday with my partner to go away for seven weeks in a, about four months after I started, and I told them, and I basically thought that they'd say. Thanks for your time, but we've got to get someone else in. Yeah. But whilst before I, whilst I was away, I actually got an email saying, "When you come back, do you want to be full time? Wow. Do you want to do you want to be a full contracted member of the team?" And I was like, "Yeah, Holy dooly. of course." So basically, um, yeah. From there, it's just sort of become like part of the the routine and part of the team there, and it's yeah. really really fun. That's so awesome. So basically, I've I just got to thank Beck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's really interesting that through life, you just never know the people and the friendships that are going to lead you to other things. And it's not that you want to go into friendships being like, well, what are you going to yeah, do totally. me? Yeah, totally. What's happening with this friendship? Yeah. yeah. But isn't it? It's all about relationships and who you know and and... I mean, and that's important for you as a human, but it's also in terms of your career and where things eventuate because you just don't know, particularly yeah. like this kind of industry. And I'll say, I'll say, I'm very, very lucky to to get that job, and because I, I know what it's like when I was doing that year of just trying, 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 like basically begging for a job. I know how hard it can be to get your first break. Leg in the door, but also. I ended up getting the job because I knew Beck through my comedy stuff, not because of what I'd studied because I feel like the more you put yourself out there, it is like with friendships and the more stuff you try, the more potential doors will open because you know people through that or through this and they know you can do this. And Beck knew that I'd edited videos and that I had a comedy mind so that I'd probably suit this job. So when they said, oh, we need someone, she said, oh, how about we get my friend Dave? So... To be thought of, you've sort of just got to put yourself out you there. You do, don't you? And have lots of different fingers in lots of different pies. Yeah, definitely. You know, and just kind of keep on producing and working. And yeah, keep working. So, for example, yeah. if the, the project, uh, is, God forbid, if the, the show you know got shut down or at the end of uh, 2017, like the network was in a bit of trouble but it was yeah. bought out by someone, but there was a bit of time where people were thinking, what else are we going to do? So, I've kept a great relationship with my, my – Trivia and yeah. curry quiz masters <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you definitely got to keep all the doors open if you want to work in a creative field just just in case. Yeah. Because nothing is certain or nothing's no, forever. Absolutely. And I think what I'm loving from listening to you and what I think, I think anyway, people listening to this will get out of it is that if you get given an opportunity, bloody run with that opportunity. Yeah, you just have to as try. As hard as you can. Really. You know, like learning Avid would not have been easy in that short Yeah, for time. sure. And now, and now that's just an extra skill that I've uh, picked up. You can put that on the resume for it. Like, you know, if you move on to another editing job, like now I know how to work this professional thing that I've never yeah. heard of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, it's life I think is often just about running with what you got at the time that you got yep. it and making the most of the opportunities that are right in front of you. Um, I think Tim mentioned, have you watched his graduate speech? He did like a yeah, uh, keynote address. Yes, I'm pretty sure I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. was it in uh, WA? Yeah, I think so. And it, I mean, it's so, such a great speech on so many levels, but he says that a lot that um, you've got to be really good and work hard at the thing that's right in front of you rather than keeping your eye out on a whole lot of, you know, pie in the sky things that might never happen. Yeah, um, totally. You know, and just work, like work really hard at the job that you're in, even if it's not the perfect thing for you now, because you just never know where it's going to lead you. And I, um, 
I definitely see that you do that for sure. Yeah, you just got to try and make the best of it. But because I feel like cause I was worried about coming on the show and I said to you. Yeah, you were so nervous. Yeah, but just, so just coming on because like I just feel like I'm just starting out and I've achieved nothing and you know, I've got you know, so many ambitions and goals and things I'd like to do. And you've done so much already. Well, you know, but it's all relative, I guess. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, so I hope, yeah, hope for the listeners I didn't come across as very arrogant and satisfied <laughs> with what I've done because I'm not. And I'd like to just keep <laughs> keep moving. And That's all right. I'll just title this show Dave Warnicky the Narcissist. Oh, no, please don't. I really, it is hard to come in and talk about yourself for an hour and not come across as a narcissist. No, not at all. It's, I think it's about um, sharing what you've learned as you've gone through. And I think that's really well, valuable for me, but valuable for people. Sure, who to sure. Well, well. If, if people do want to make the, make, just make the thing, I would just say, just listen to the title. You just got, you just have to make the thing. Right. And just, just keep on doing keep it. Keep on making the thing. And it yeah. might suck. Who cares? Like um, people often ask, uh, people message our podcast page and they say, oh, I would really like to make a podcast. I don't know where to start. And I just think you just have to start recording it. And then my big tip would be, if you're not happy with it, don't put it out. Like just because you've recorded it doesn't mean you have to make it. Like when Matt and I recorded those first couple of episodes, it was okay, but it just wasn't quite good you enough. Have the magic. So we were happy yeah. to re-record those episodes to try and make it better. Yeah. So yeah, I think you, you got to try something. If you don't love it, you don't have to put it out there, but you can just keep working on it yeah, until you're happy with it. But then also, you can't be too much of a perfectionist because <laughs> yeah. I know there are people that. Uh, on our Isaac Newton episode of Do Go On, yeah. Andy Matthews from the Two and the Think Tank podcast came on and talked about Isaac Newton. And one of his things was his fear of rejection. So he thought of these theories and for decades didn't tell anyone about them. And it was groundbreaking science. It yeah. changed the world. But he didn't tell anyone about them. One, because he was worried that people might steal his ideas. And two, that he would get criticism and negative feedback. And he wasn't, wow. he wasn't up to that. Man. But then when he released it, it changed everything. So you can't... You, you can't yeah. yeah, work on it until it's good, but you don't have to wait till it's perfect. That's my no, Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a sweet spot. In yeah, there, definitely. There? I've actually found for me, because I, not, not like Isaac Newton, but I do have that fear of putting stuff out there and taking criticism to heart. And I just never think anything's good enough. But I think to in order to get over that, you literally just have to almost throw it out there yep. and not worry so much. Just like totally. and just keep throwing it out there and throwing it out there. And Ira Glass said something similar that it takes years for something to be as good as you want it to be. And you can't you're not gonna start comedy, you know, doing a comedy stand up gig and eight years ago and be as great as you are now. Like you would have grown so much as a performer yes, and artist and you learn so much through doing. Nothing's going to change if you sit there on your amazing, or not even that amazing, but your artwork or creative ideas or writing or whatever, and just never get it out. Totally, and just, we live in an age where you can just get it out there. I know, you can just just make the thing. Yeah, it's very, absolutely. and I'm very super happy to that that I live in the age of podcasting because you know if I'd started ten years earlier, we wouldn't have been able to. We'd have to wait for some radio guy to. Right. Ring us up and be like, yeah. come in and do a show. And it wouldn't be our show. It would be that radio guy's yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. It would be filtered through someone yeah. else's lens. Whereas there's never been a better time to be self-absorbed. Yeah, and exactly. want to get your voice out there. Do whatever yeah. you want. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dave Warnicky. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. And podcast dogs just fall asleep right next to you. So I know, I've just, relaxed this dog. You have. Oh. She's just, you're just meant to be here. 
Okay, well, um, is there anything you'd like to plug just before we go? Um, if you like podcasts and you haven't heard, uh, do go on. You can give us a crack. That would be lovely to have some new listeners. Um, so we report on a topic. My suggestion would be just to find it, go back through 125, 127 <laughs> episodes, whatever it is, and um, just find a topic that you find interesting and give us a go. Um, and apart from that, I'm doing a show if you are in Melbourne at the Comedy Festival as well as doing live podcasts. I'm doing a show called The Blind Dating Show Spectacular, mm. which my, with myself and uh, six comedians coming on every week, blindly dating someone through a curtain. It's very silly. I've done it the last I couple of years. I love it. We're, co- we're definitely coming this Oh, thank year. you very much. So, so yeah, that, um, if you are interested, that's at uh, the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Awesome. And we can find you at DaveWarnicky.com. Yes, DaveWarnicky.com. Well. I've got a website. Cool. And on Twitter? At DaveWarnicky. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks, Claire. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a podcast called Just Make the Thing with me, Claire Tonti and the wonderful Dave Warnicky. For more podcasts from our network, please go to planetbroadcasting.com. You can find me on Twitter at Mrs. Sunday Movies or on Instagram where I love to tell some stories at Claire Tonti. And if you want to help out the show, we would love you to subscribe, rate and review us in iTunes. That really helps us keep going and uh, gives us a little boost to our ego. So that would be lovely. Thanks, guys. Um, And also thank you to Raw Collings for editing this episode. What a trooper, getting them out every week. So thanks to him and to everyone who supports our network. Um, Come along to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. That is launching now. So in March in Melbourne and April. So fantastic. One of my favorite times of the year. Autumn in Melbourne is beautiful. And the shows that are from our network and just generally are wonderful. You'll find lots of our podcasts performing um, individually in their own shows. Dave's show is hilarious, so I'm definitely going to see that this year. Uh, Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart as well, they have a wonderful live show coming up for lots of, four I think, um, at the European Beer Cafe, as do a lot of our other podcasters. So, um off you go trot on down if you're in melbourne to the comedy festival and if you're coming to the weekly planet live show i can't wait to see you there so it's sold out unfortunately the boys would only let me book one so hopefully it goes really well and we can convince them to do a few more this year and uh maybe even venture overseas so uh stay tuned on that one guys this has been a long outro so i'm signing off now over and out see ya Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.